It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Good morning, the 24th of October. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Questions over Ireland's neutrality and if the triple lock, for that matter, is fit for purpose, could be answered this week. The government will be asked to legislate for a referendum which would give people the opportunity to vote on amending the constitution and enshrining a clause which would make Ireland officially a neutral Country. This is a motion that will be put before the doll by the independent group of TDs and Marion Harkin, independent TD for Sligo Leitrim, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Marion Harkin, and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Tell us uh, what the objective of this uh, motion is, or, or more to the point, uh, why you're putting forward this motion now. What's, what's the need for a, a debate on neutrality or indeed uh, amending the Constitution? Well, good morning, Michael, to you and your listeners. And we put forward this motion at this point because, as you know, we had a consultation forum, a a government consultation forum on our international security policy recently. We've had a commission looking at the uh, adequacy of Ireland's uh, defence forces. Um, We're looking globally at two conflicts, one in the Middle East and, and one uh, in Ukraine, uh, where it's, it's having an impact, shall we say. There's been a debate in the Shannon some months ago as well on neutrality. And there's, um, shall we say, a certain uh, call for the possibility of a referendum on neutrality. And anyway, Michael, I think uh, because our neutrality, the, the policy of neutrality has evolved over many years, uh, that it is a good thing to discuss this important part of our foreign policy in the Dáil and uh, to see if we can move from there in any way, either towards a referendum hmm. or towards maybe a better definition of what our neutrality is. Yeah, well, that's the interesting point about all of this, isn't it? As you say, our understanding of neutrality has evolved, and if neutrality can evolve, well, then obviously there are different definitions of what neutrality means. How do you define neutrality? 
Well, first of all, I would say that neutrality has been the foundation of our international standing as an independent and impartial voice for peace throughout the world. And really, military neutrality, which is what we're speaking about here, because we are militarily neutral. But of course, we're not politically neutral. We can see that very clearly, let's say, from the war in Ukraine. But of course, we can see it very clearly from what happened in World War II. But military neutrality is, in its simplest terms, not being a member of an international uh, military alliance. In other words, we're not members of NATO, for example. And that's what military neutrality is. But to to put a more positive aspect Mm. of that, in other words, rather than saying what what we're not, uh, even though that that is core to it, um, neutrality is about trying to promote peacekeeping. And, of course, Ireland has been one of those countries that has been to the fore in peacekeeping missions. Uh, We know at the moment um, in Lebanon, uh, the... The challenges, shall we say, that our peacekeepers are facing there. And it's about peacekeeping, about peace enforcement, about conflict resolution as well. And I think one of the reasons that we managed to get a seat on the UN Security Council Mm. was because of our role in helping to uh, peace build and... Uh, and, and train soldiers who are at war. You note in your motion uh, the involvement of the Irish Defence Forces in rifle weapons training in Ukraine. Uh, and do you believe that is in line with uh, the stance of a country that says it is neutral? Well, people may have different perspectives on that. I mean, my perspective is that I believe it is within the, the bounds of the Constitution and, you know, our triple lock agreement. Um, but I think it would be important to tease that out in the debate, look at the different perspectives on it. Mm. Um, because um, obviously, if we're hoping to, or the Minister has committed to, invest about 1.6 billion in our defence forces. Uh, between now and 2028, because we are uh, the weakest link at European level, whether it's cyber defence, air defence, sea defence, land defence. Mm. Um, and uh, in order for uh, our military um, to uh, get the, the greatest benefit from that, we, we certainly have to have things like interoperability with other military uh, throughout the EU from our, the perspective of working with them in the area of peace building and peace enforcement as well. So mm. these are issues... And, and we may not be able to do that because of uh, the triple lock. What, what, what are your views on the triple lock? This is uh, the mechanism uh, that was uh, enshrined into the Constitution uh, that meant Irish troops could not be deployed abroad without the approval of the United Nations Security Council, the Dáil and the government. You also mentioned uh, the forums uh, that were held on defence 
sense. And uh, the chair of that forum, Professor Louise Richardson, has uh, given her report to the government uh, and she says that the prevailing view is that the triple lock uh, needs to be reconsidered. Um, I think it needs to be reconsidered but that's in no way prejudicing what might come in its place. Now this is just my personal view. I, I'm not, I don't think it's the view perhaps of all of the other signatories uh, to this resolution but the triple lock largely was put in place in a rush almost at the, the time of um, a, a European referendum. And it does mean at the end of the day that our participation in, in any mission is determined by whether or not Russia uses its veto, China uses its veto uh, at the UN Security Council. And there is something that the breaks or jars with me uh, to to some extent mm. uh, that we uh, are in that position. Well, uh, it, it was put in place, uh, wasn't it, when the Irish people rejected uh, the Lisbon Treaty uh, and then uh, we were told that there'd be no prospect of us being forced to join a European army because of uh, the triple lock and when we voted on the Lisbon Treaty the second time, we voted in favour of it. Uh, so this was very much the will of the people, was it not? Absolutely, because people were concerned that this might be the case. But this idea of being forced to join, I mean, even before any triple lock, you know, look at our constitution, it would require the, the, the will of uh, the of Dolan uh, to do that. And we do elect our politicians to make our policy. And I suppose in a way, what, what this triple lock says, uh, if you think about it, is we actually don't trust the politicians we elect to make good decisions um, at one level, mm. but at another level, it, it does anchor our neutrality in a UN context, that the, the mission in question is UN approved. And, and that has a real legitimacy as well. Okay. The, the, the area where, where that becomes grey is because if we look at the fact that no new peacekeeping missions have been approved by the UN Security Council for almost 10 years, Michael. So, mm. because of vetoes. So as and this is the point that Michal Martin, Tonisha, Minister for Defence, has been making that Russia or China could veto Irish peacekeeping missions. Your motion is said to be debated in the Dáil tomorrow. The government uh, will have its own debate on that report by Professor Louise Richardson on neutrality. And she says uh, in the report that Ireland's conception of neutrality might more accurately be described as political alignment and military non-alignment. While Ireland's practice of neutrality does not conform to international norms, it remains popular, uh, but uh, that there's no public appetite for change on the current position on neutrality. Uh, if it's the will of the people to continue as we are, should that not be the end of the matter? Okay, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons we're suggesting that we look at the possibility of putting forward a referendum. I, I think that it, it would seem from surveys that have been done, that you know, there was a fairly recent one in the Irish Times which showed that the majority of people, not the vast, 
but the majority of people uh, favour pretty much the status quo. Mm. Well over 60%, look, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. They might yeah. look at tinkering with parts of it. Because, you see, Michael, it has served us well. Uh, but equally, um, it's, it's good to have a discussion and an informed discussion that I know what Tom Clonan said when he was debating this in the Shannon, mm. that we have more light than heat. Um, that, that we look at the reality of this, look at something, let's say, that would never have been considered um, some years back, even the time of the triple lock and certainly when this policy was being put in place, uh, you know, cyber yeah. defence, the absolute and urgent need uh, to cooperate on that. People have already forgotten about what happened to uh, the HSE when it was attacked. But, I mean, we got out of that um, with... People forget about the damage that was done. We did get out of it. But, I mean, that might not have happened. Uh, And systems that, you know, Mm. could have collapsed in a a way that we couldn't even begin to imagine. And our lives um, are literally being, I won't say dictated to, but being run. Is there an element of Irish cowardice, do you think? Uh, Because if um, we're not politically neutral, that means politically we support military actions taken by other people. Uh, And does that mean that we're sending other people's children out to fight our battles? No, I don't think there's cowardice, Michael, uh, in the sense that, you know, from a purely practical level, we're a very small country. Um, Any participation in any military alliance would make little or no difference from the perspective of of influence or power. So the best way that that we can have influence or soft power is through a, a militarily neutral stance because we do need honest brokers uh, and remember as well, Michael, it comes from our history. We, we weren't a coloniser. We were colonised. So if you look across Europe, many European countries were colonisers, even countries you forget about, like the Netherlands, yeah. for example. Uh, so they have a different history and a different perspective. Mm. And if you look at some of the countries in Europe, let's say Finland, that what neutral, Finland no longer is in that space. Um, but there, there tend to be small countries and mm. countries that weren't colonised. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, conflict in Ukraine undoubtedly changed uh, the minds of people in Finland uh, and they've uh, now uh, become a member of NATO. But if there was to be a, a referendum, if we were to look at us, uh, amending the constitution, what would we be voting on? And this takes us back to that first question about the definition of neutrality and uh, I thought uh, the Irish Times uh, put forward a a number of possible definitions of um, neutrality. They asked uh, in uh, the editorial a few weeks ago, is neutrality simply a refusal to engage with mutual defence guarantees in a military alliance? Or is it a broader refusal to take sides in a conflict or an almost pacifist rejection of the use of force. Um, Would you see uh, a a vote on neutrality falling under one of those banners? 
Well, of course, that will depend on, on wording and what's already in our constitution. The, the last one there, I mean, Ireland has not said it would never go to war. Uh, that's not enshrined in our constitution. So that would be, if you like, a pacifist approach. Um, Article 28 says we can go to war. So, you know, we would actually have to change uh, some of our constitution to um, be in that situation. Um, Look, this is to be teased out. It's to be discussed. I mean, there are some people who might like that position. I, I, I personally would, would not be in favour of changing Article 28 because I think we never know the circumstances that a future government will find itself in. So I don't think we should tie their hands in that way. However, I think we should try and find a form of words that allows us, you know, to be militarily neutral, not to become a member of an international military alliance. In all, from a pragmatic perspective, Michael, what benefit would it be to offer them, you know, because of our of our size? Okay. I think we, we play a much more powerful role uh, the, the way we are operating. And even if you look at the response to the Middle East crisis in the last week, two weeks, uh, across the EU. Well, what you see are, without being generalising too much, is that former colonisers largely uh, tend to um, take one side, shall we say, because maybe some of them even had a, had a hand in, in the whole historical setting up of, of what's ongoing, shall we say. Whereas others who are outside that framework I believe, uh, at least it's my opinion, could stand back and take a more balanced view of it, look at both sides rather than saying, well, look, we had some involvement or engagement in setting this up, so it has to be right. Whereas you need to stand outside and look at what's happening, um, you know, and how... And that Ireland could be a a trusted broker in peace talks, perhaps. I think so. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the positive things we can do is build alliances with some other countries across the EU so that... uh, we don't have the, the, the gung-ho approach that we saw in the early days uh, from the Hungarian commissioner and from uh, uh, von der Leyen, which I was really disappointed with. There was no nuance um, in that. There needs to be a response that is, is much more balanced. And I think Ireland has, has really played a very positive role there. And... I think that's one of the the legacies Mm -hmm. of our military neutrality and something that that we definitely should hold on to. Okay, I I think it's going to be a very interesting debate and I think we're going to hear many different views when you put your motion in front of uh, the doll tomorrow and we'll be watching it with great interest. Thank you very much though for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Independent TD for Sligo Leitrim, Marion Harkin. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's uh, talk about waiting on a, a bus. Uh, I suppose you could be waiting all day and two come at the one time. Sometimes none come at all. And uh, if you see the number of buses that have been cancelled at peak times in Ratoth and Ashburn, uh, you'd wonder how anybody puts up with it. Uh, it's certainly of huge concern locally. And independent councillor Gillian Toole has written to the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, and Junior Minister Jack Chambers seeking a meeting because it is one of many of the problems that people locally are living with. Gillian Toole is with us in studio and good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, You have been very uh, visible on social media and uh, it's really striking to see the amount of buses that are cancelled, 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 cancelled in one day. How do people get to and fro if that's the case on an ongoing basis? So what seems to be happening, Michael, and thank you for the opportunity uh, to to speak with you this morning. What seems to be happening is there's panic phone calls from the bus stop to mums, to neighbours, whoever, people driving by, see somebody, they know the bus is stopped and people are carpooling. So people will find a solution, but you don't need the stress of that on Mm. top of maybe going into college to do an exam, being late to a tutor, being late to work maybe going into work knowing you have a performance appraisal or knowing you have a difficult day ahead. Mm. It's an added stress. Or or you're on your final warning. Absolutely. If you're late again. Yeah, I mean, there's a litany. Mm. It's self-evident. It's there on the website and short notice for Mm. people. There are solutions. Um, I And I don't believe in meetings for the sake of meetings and to Mm. throw out an outpost. You've had plenty of meetings. Solution. Since Mm. 2016, we Mm. started the process. um, I went on the council 2014 so this problem predates I was a commuter myself as a student Uh, this problem predates any of that Uh, said right first of all meet bus air and management what are the problems what can be done what solutions can be found using local link carpooling etc that wasn't working one version from bus and then we'd meet with transport infrastructure ireland a few of us from the Ratoth district and ashburn district would make the pilgrimage into harcourt terrace and meeting separately i had enough of that so i started asking the council executive let's all be in the one room the whites of the eyes what's happening try and come to solutions together. Our last tripartite meeting was back in May and we had Irish Rail, Bus Aaron and TII in Navan and um, uh, good exchange of information, Mm. good feedback from the public reps on behalf of the commuter. Recognition of the problems? Absolutely, recognition Mm. of the problems. Driver shortages, we know the recruitment campaign, mechanics... But there are private operators out there. You have Matthews, you have Sillins, you have Ashburn Connect. But there is a discrepancy there. So the 20% discount that was brought in for the PSO services, which would be Bus Aaron, that is not available on the private operators. So the times we're in, people are value conscious, people don't have a choice. And in mm. my opinion, this is an abuse of a dominant position. Mm. There are buses... Par- by, by a provider that can't provide the service. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. if you yeah. can't provide the service, Bus Aaron is part of the CIE group. Dublin Bus is in that group. Dublin Bus has 200 pl- plus buses parked not too far from us in RD. Mm. Massive investment in hydrogen and electric buses sitting idle. And... In terms of employment and, you know, we know from during the pandemic, the most important people in our community 
where the drivers, mm. the couriers, the bin men, the porters, the ja- if it's creeping in that there's a hierarchy of employment and people aren't as keen, the bus driver is probably one of the most important people in the in the whole scheme of the work-life balance. Yeah, and, and, and what did you say? 200 buses in RD mm. doing nothing. Why, why are they there? They're Dublin bus buses. Mm. They're parked up. Again, I suppose the, the driver, the mechanic problem. 420 new electric buses have been purchased. 200 right. parked mm. up. 33 single-deckers. Uh, they're about a year old now and they right. have never mm. been on the road. Uh, the other thing then, the other possible solution uh, is extend the discount to the private operator mm. for a defined period of time. So if there's a fear that bus errands uh, position might be undermined, put a defined period on it. Mm. I mean, this boils down, in my opinion, to policy and objectives. So mm. even I've written to the ministers and I've copied our Meads East uh, TDs ministers. Uh, so Minister Chambers very nicely sent me a little holding reply. Mm. Lovely. Mm. Just checked the emails there this morning to see in case I'd, uh, yeah. in case I'd uh, trip myself up. <laughs> Somebody replied to me, but no, mm. sadly not. Mm. But this is policy. So this comes back to the Department of Transport. And mm. policy is created in the department. Then it goes to Iraq, this committees, and then it goes to a vote. It's kind of akin to the council. So Ken Spratt, Secretary General. Garrett Ducey, Assistant Secretary for Transport Investment and Public Transport Policy. So, Minister Chambers, Minister Ryan, me these TDs, yes, please, if you're listening or your people are listening, put the shoulder to the wheel, get this meeting. Bring the private operators in, get those buses that are parked up, get them on the road. It is so unfair. Mm. We're talking about rebuilding economies. We're talking about educating young people for the future. Mm. Fairness through mm. education. We're talking about climate change. Exactly. We're talking about getting I mean, people out of cars yeah. and into buses. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I came down from Retoth. Mm. I took. <coughs> I should have taken the 105 probably but yeah. there's road closures from Dulik from the cemetery to here. I came the back roads through Rathfai, mm-hmm. Dulik. Tailbacks, Dulik is stagnant. One person, one car. But we've passed motions in mm. Meath County Council, use the bus lanes for carpooling. Uh, a link bus, Miriam McKenna in local link, uh, Loud Mead, phenomenal woman. Mm. Give me routes, I'll find the money. Yeah. Money was found for a pilot. Now, we had suggested a pilot, a feeder bus from Ashburn to Retoth mm. to Dunchockland to the M3 Parkway. Mm. And it could be doing a school run in between. It could be taking older people to day services and then the reverse yeah. in the mm. evenings. Uh, climate friendly, stress, mm. out of ger- uh, stress out of commuting. Guess what was funded, Michael? the link bus from Dunchocklin to the M3 Parkway. The 109 service from through Dunchocklin already stops at the Navan Road Parkway. Not the issue. Right. Now the council has 800,000 for climate initiatives, a climate action fund. There's five pillars. Travel's one of them. I've suggested we'll have another go at it. The link bus from Ashburn to Retoth mm. to the M3 Parkway. The trains are leaving on time. Okay, there are, there have been capacity mm. issues there, availability of coaches, Connolly Station, but they're being resolved. Yeah, it's so unfair on people. But why is it so complicated? Why is it so difficult? Why are we not able to provide a, a, a service? a reliable service. Why can they do it everywhere else in the world, it seems? I was asking um, the CEO of Bus Air not too long ago why the airport bus 
um, in Louth was always a half hour late uh, and why not reschedule it uh, so that the timetable would reflect the reality so that instead of it being three o'clock it would it'd be scheduled to leave at half three because it never leaves till half three if you understand what I mean. Uh, what's so complicated about this? Do, do they not have problems recruiting drivers and mechanics in Denmark or in Germany? Uh, I'm sure they have the same obstacles but they somehow overcome them. Why can't we do that? I think we're trying to turn the Titanic. I think policies and there's a touch of, I think, was it Catherine Tate? Computer says no. Um, There's an element of we're resistant to change. But I think we've lost the focus. Who are we supposed to be serving? Mm. It's a public service obligation. But the public are being let down mm. because of resistance to change, not thinking, not being able yeah. to pivot quickly enough. And they're not fines for a bus errand if there so are, many buses are cancelled. Yeah, there are. And I mean, yeah. it's based on, I mean, that that is, uh, I think it's quarterly, the meetings between TII and bus Aaron. Um I stand to be corrected on that, but mm. I'm, I'm nearly sure it's quarterly where the chief executives meet with uh, senior TII people. Yeah. Yeah. But... It's based then on customer feedback and customer complaints. So if you're left stranded in the rain Mm, or otherwise mm. at a bus stop and you're there trying to think of your alternative way to work or college, the last thing you're thinking of Mm. is logging a complaint. But if the complaints aren't logged, it's not building a body of evidence. And Mm. we're all evidence based now. Mm. Uh, It's not building that body of evidence. I met the Commission for Regulation of Utilities last week on the water issues in Ritoth. Uh, 20 outages Ritoth Ashburn since the beginning of the year only 29 complaints logged wow, right. but if you're there mm. trying to get mm. kids washed breakfast yep. dinner washing mm. machine on are you seriously going to be logged so mm. make the process easier for and take if public representatives are sending emails are getting energised on behalf of people take us seriously Hmm. We're public representatives. We're bringing the concerns of people who maybe don't have the time to make the complaint. We're making it on their behalf. Hmm. Does it take a protest for the penny to drop? Yeah. And even and actually, I, I, I just put a flyer out there on social media. Who would attend a protest? One resident in Ritoth and fair play to them <laughs> said, sure, how would we get there? <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Chicken yeah, and egg. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the problem in recruiting? Is it pay? I would think it's part of it. I would think driver safety. I'm probably, I'm not, Mm, I'll be mm, honest, mm. I'm not qualified to, I'm not best qualified at all to answer that. But Mm. I think it's value, it's respect, um, it's workload, it's the journey, what's involved in the journey. Mm. Is there antisocial behaviour en route? It's a a mixture, it's a mixture of things. But surely it's the same in London or Birmingham. Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they solve it again. It's down to hmm. who do we value, what hmm. what roles do we value, yeah. and actually a realization that it's all to get from point A to B, hmm. maybe to your job in tech, hmm. maybe to being an influencer or whatever the yeah. role may be. That we we're all part yeah. of the solution, getting from yeah. A to B, yeah. resolving problem and valuing people. I mean, I don't claim to have the answers, but I don't think I'm qualified to run a, a national bus service. Uh, my question is. Are the people who are charged with that task capable of delivering the service? Uh, and 
is it any more difficult than it is elsewhere if they can do it in London or Birmingham where I'm sure uh, the population is very similar and you have the same sort of problems uh, I'm sh- sure you can do it here I'm sure mm-hmm. it's easy enough to um, make a cab safe for drivers that they can't be assaulted mm-hmm. or anything like that I'm sure it's uh, possible to pay people adequately I'm sure it's possible to have accurate timetables if you don't have enough drivers you don't say there's going to be a hundred buses you say there's going to be 20 buses or 50 buses or whatever the case may be. And and there, mm. case in point, Michael, you've mm. pointed out a competency. Mm. Looking at the problem, what are the causes of the problem? What are the solutions that we can implement? And if drivers and mechanics and a shortage of those mm. skills are the problem, then why invest 800,000, I think, approximately per bus, mm. the new electric or hydrogen buses? Yeah. Why invest in 400 plus of them and have 200 of them parked up? It's that, is, that, that really is shocking. That is a mass. Mm. I'm mm. totally mm. for the green mm. agenda. Mm. Redu- but I'm also for <laughs> well, making... There's no emissions from those buses anyway. To be, exactly. <laughs> and it's meant yeah. to be mm. fair mm. and just. Mm. There's nothing fair or just leaving students and people stranded yeah. on the side of the road and the stress. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I think the first qualification for anybody who runs a bus service is that they would have used a bus as part of their daily life mm-hmm. for a period of a, at least two years and that they would understand the problems that there are when you're relying on public transport for a community. So I suppose my, my final mm. piece would be encourage people to make the complaint. Customer service at busaren.ie yeah. and info at tii.ie. Yeah, right. um, yeah. And even if it's if the student can't do it, if there's somebody else, yeah. there's enough people around the bus stop, log it in real time. Yeah. That provides the evidence. I mean, I'll I'll probably <laughs> then another month's yeah. time if the meeting opportunities come up, I'll yeah. go in with my data, I'll go in with my solutions. Yeah, sure. But they yeah. just need to start yeah. listening. And I'm sure a lot of people will want to contact you after this as well, Gillian, because I'd say you've just opened a can of worms it's the sort of thing everybody is talking about and thinking mm-hmm. about and never get around to doing anything about because by the time you've got home got dry finally got to do whatever it is you're meant to be doing and get a chance to sit down the last thing you want to do is to send off an email to Buzz Aaron or whoever so uh, let, keep us up to speed uh, if you would and uh, I'm sure people will let us know their thoughts as well here on the programme as well our telephone number by the way is 0419832000 if you want to do that you can text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie and many thanks to independent councillor Gillian Toole Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Irish Independent uh, reports uh, this morning on a remarkable arrest in RD on Sunday. It was uh, an escaped prisoner who was arrested and indeed uh, the story between him leaving the prison at Lawton House, an open prison, and being arrested in RD is quite remarkable. We can hear more about this. Our reporter Eamon Doyle joins us now. Good morning to you, Eamon. Thanks for joining us. What more or can you tell us? Well, Michael, the um, you're right in what you're saying there. The um, gentleman is 48 years of age. He's over 100 convictions and he escaped from the open prison, which was back uh, just on October the 7th. But he was caught by Gardaí late on Sunday night uh, after a stolen car. He was travelling and failed to stop for the guards. Uh, he ran the patrol cars, you say, in RD. And the criminal then drove the wrong way down uh, parts of the Louth Meath border uh, and the stolen car was then abandoned and slain. Uh, he fled on foot, but uh, Gardy caught up with him and he initially uh, resisted arrest. But a, a quantity of suspected crack cocaine was found uh, in the stolen car. Now, he's currently being detained in Navin 
uh, Garda station uh, while he was in the run. The escaped prisoner suspected of stealing a car in the Manor Hamilton area um, of Leitrim. That's about 20k from the from the jail and Garda are investigating two armed raids, one Westmead and Kildare. And last week, it's also believed that he was involved uh, in a, a total of suspect of being involved in four armed robberies. Uh, one incident happened in a shop in Kinnegad where a staff at a petrol station were threatened by the man uh, with a knife. And, and this is since he escaped from prison? Yes, this is exactly right, Michael. Since he escaped from prison uh, on October the 7th, uh, he went on uh, this uh, crime spree uh, um, over the, the number of days until he was apprehended by the guards uh, late on Sunday night. He uh, is a prolific offender. He's currently serving six year, eight year jail term. He previously been investigated over a shooting incident and uh, previous convictions include firearms offences, burglary, robbery, escaping from unlawful custody, assault, trespass and larceny. Uh, so it's a good rap sheet. Absolutely. And it's not the first time he's been in prison, I understand. No, no, he's one of the longest serving uh, or one of the longest prison sentence was imposed on him more than a decade ago when he was jailed for eight years over an armed raid. And he's also, the suspect has also been charged in the past over an incident in which led to armed guardy on a high-speed chase, which happened over two counties. A very dangerous individual. Uh, I think that uh, robbery at the shop in Maynooth uh, was particularly violent. Uh, He he frightened the life out of the staff there holding a knife. Yes, that's right. Uh, Staff were threatened uh, with, with a knife. And, you know, the belief that the uh, criminal, you know, he was involved in all three incidents. So, you know, a very dangerous criminal and the guardy would have been delighted to uh, arrest him the other evening. All right. Uh, and indeed uh, arrested him with crack cocaine after all of uh, the activity uh, that he, he's been involved in. He's currently serving a, a six year sentence, uh, but he's to go before the courts again, I take it, because of this latest spree. That's right, yeah. So it, there's no um, word of yet when he's going to appear in court, but he's currently uh, in uh, Navan Garda Station. OK, well, but I think we're probably all a bit safer uh, if he's uh, in the uh, jurisdiction of uh, the, the guards, uh, if he's being held like that and uh, put back behind bars, no doubt, at some stage. Eamon, thanks indeed uh, for talking us through that. That's our reporter, Eamon Doyle. Michael Reed on LMFM. Halloween is meant to be scary, but uh, realistically it can be very scary because it can be very dangerous and people can end up uh, in very serious uh, positions uh, because of some of uh, the dangers associated with how we celebrate Halloween. Let's uh, speak to Gronya Griffin, who's Director of Communications with uh, the CCPC. And a very good morning to you, Gronya, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning and you've uh, appealed to people to think about safety uh, as they celebrate Halloween over the weekend. Good morning, that's right. Um, like We know that Halloween is great fun and it's a great time for, for kids to get out and to get dressed up. And so we'd just be encouraging parents to be safety conscious when you're doing so. And there's a couple of fairly straightforward steps that you can take just to kind of put your mind at rest when it comes to the potential dangers of Halloween costumes. So... Mm. 
you know, things like looking for a CE mark if you're shopping for a costume. You know, children's costumes are an actual toy. They are regulated. There are requirements on retailers. So if you're in the shops and you're picking out a costume, just make have a look and make sure that there is, for example, a CE mark on it. Right, and that's sure not, a, that's that not a, a gimmick. That's to do with uh, how quickly the material can go up in flames apart from anything else. Yeah, and what, what, it, what a CE mm. mark means is that this is the safety standard. So it means that it meets the general requirements of that particular product, that, that it's safe. And depending on the product, like the different risks can, the risks can vary. So, for example, when you're looking at kids and you're trying to work out if something is safe or not, there's some really obvious things that our product safety inspectors will do. But if you can actually put, do them at home as well. So if you're looking at smaller kids, you're always worried about the throat. So you're always worried about something that might in some way obstruct the airway. And so that's either something around the throat, like um, some sort of ties or cords. So, you know, cloaks are often very popular on Halloween as part of a costume. And if you're making a cloak or if you're buying a cloak, just make sure that it will easily come away if it gets caught at the back, that it won't tighten around the neck. So either a Velcro fastening or some sort of fastening, like a bow that can be pulled apart easily, but not anything that will be knotted or that will actually get tighter if it's pulled on at the back. Mm. So that's a really important one. And then the other thing is, is anything that has a small part that could be a choking hazard if it comes off. So if you're looking at things like buttons or decorations or anything like that that might be added to a costume, if, it, if it's smaller than a two euro coin, mm. that's kind of your general guide. If it's smaller than a two euro coin, it's a potential choking hazard. So just be looking to make sure there's nothing that's going to come off easily and potentially, um, you know, block the mm. throat if it was swallowed. Yeah, or that it's not flammable material. Uh, can costumes be sold without a, a CE mark? Well, adult costumes are different, are not considered toys. So you just need to make sure that what you're buying is age appropriate if it is actually for a child. Do you know when toys should have age guidance on them to say what age they're appropriate for? Because there's obviously a big difference between what's safe for like an eight-year-old and what's safe for a one-year-old. Do you know? So, you know, as you start to build a costume and as you bring more and more elements into it, maybe in props and accessories and things like that, it can also be easy to forget that maybe some of those things are not aimed for for children and are not actually toys. So if you're adding additional pieces in, make sure that they're also suitable for children if you're adding props mm. and bits and bobs onto okay. it, you know? But, but can children's costumes be sold without a CE mark? No, if it's a child's costume and it's marketed as a child's costume, that absolutely needs to have a CE mark. And if you see mm. something in the shops that doesn't have a CE mark and it is a children's costume, please do report it into us. You can ring our helpline. We have a helpline on 01402 and you can report those in. And actually, consumer complaints are really... They're a really important source mm. of information, actually, for our product safety inspectors because it can give them a lead that they can then follow up on. Mm. And I, I think you're uh, suggesting to people uh, as well that they should think along those lines uh, in every aspect of how Halloween is celebrated. Uh, if uh, there's something that can be swallowed, something that can go on fire, uh, or indeed uh, something that could lead to a child choking. Yeah, absolutely. So they. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Kind of be all of the big ones, and you know, particularly if your children are going to be near a bonfire, you really do want to think about the flammability of things. And if you're making your own costume, which is great because it's often a lot more environmentally friendly, you know, if you're going to reuse things that you already have, do just think about things like, say, for example, even cotton wool is flammable. You know, so quite innocent materials um, are not necessarily fireproof if you are making your own costume, and if those children, are, if your children are going to be near a bonfire or yeah. a flame of any kind. Yeah. In fact, at home, and if you're doing pumpkins and that, we would suggest that you use the little battery-operated candles or lights for inside of those kind of things rather than candles because that just eliminates the risk of a flame altogether and it just, you know, makes your mind a little easier, do you know? Mm, yeah, very good idea. Uh, and I, I think a lot of our listeners will remember the days when they were sent out with a, a plastic bag as a, a costume and... Uh, I dread the thoughts of what would happen if something like that went up when it's on you. You're suggesting to people to stay away from bonfires. Uh, is that realistic? Well, I think the thing is we just want people to be as safe as they possibly can be. And it is that thing if you look back at what we did in the past and, you know, <laughs> times have definitely changed. But there are very real risks out there. So for people to be as safe as they can be, so if they are going to bonfires to be safe doing it and try and stay as far back from the flames as they can, to definitely avoid fireworks. They are extremely dangerous. And then there are just other things that we'd say, like there are things that exist now that didn't exist back in the day, like people incorporating lights into costumes, for example. So we would also say to people, if um, you know those little button batteries, that you, those little roundy batteries that you get in children's toys, mm. if they're being used in any way, do make sure that there's a little screw or clip or something on them to make sure that they can't be opened by the child because they now are a very serious health risk if they get swallowed. Mm. And they are very small, so it is possible. So anything like that, any of the newer aspects of costumes, like lights and things like that, be very careful about batteries. Yeah, you'd be more worried about uh, what's contained in the battery than the child choking, and it could be very, very serious, as you say, Grania. Uh, And if people uh, come across uh, issues like... Uh, toys, which are children's costumes that are being sold with the CE mark, as you say, uh, they can call the CCPC 01402 5555. Grania, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Grania Griffin is uh, the Director of Communications at uh, the CCPC.
some comments coming to us uh, this morning uh, a text uh, from somebody who says Michael there's people waiting to go to jobs near Blanchardstown waiting in Drogheda for the 6.30 bus and then at 7.15 someone tells them that they either have no bus or no driver my daughter had to leave her job because of uh, this it's terrible it's uh, the same as uh, the Drogheda bus service in the town we just can't rely on them it's beyond me. I just can't understand it. I, I, what, what, like, you know, I'm not saying I have the solutions. I'm not that smart. I, I don't know how to do it. But I do know they do it in other countries where they have the people who have the skills to run a bus service and they do it uh, without a flaw. It's just ridiculous that in this day and age we can't run a bus service. An embarrassment, if ever there was. John Conlon in Ballymackenny says, uh, what was that man doing in an open prison? Uh, you think you'd be, uh, John says, you'd be in solitary, solitary, solitary confinement if you had no TV license. Uh, it's a very good question, John. Uh, this is uh, the escaped prisoner uh, who ended up uh, ramming the guarded car in RD that Amy was telling us about a little bit earlier on. Uh, can of worms doesn't cover the bus situation across uh, the country Michael says uh, another listener I recently read of a situation at Dublin airport where an old man who had arrived in Ireland for a funeral in Wexford boarded the wrong bus and he ended up in Longford is it a coincidence in Drogheda that there is a service every 15 minutes yes every 15 minutes to Laytown given the amount of Dubliners living in that area whereas the Drogheda area buses and even RD Clarahead and Navin are less frequent interesting question <clears throat> I don't know the answer but I wish somebody was running the service who did know the answer <laughs> I think that's uh, a good way of putting it don't you we had an email from Gregory Farrelly uh, who says he was looking at uh, a YouTube video titled uh, Much Watch Speech from Matt McCarthy on Palestine where he acknowledged Hamas were wrong on the 7th of October and went on to detail how Israel acted before and after that was as far as I got until I noticed the comment section wasn't allowed for whatever reason. At what stage does history start or become relevant? I expect he went on to point out the innocent suffering and lives lost, reflecting on Sinn Féin and Ireland's recent history and the innocent lives lost due to Ireland uh, the government here, Sinn Féin, the media and society changes from the moment of conception. We're all dependent on the relevant authorities for our development, health and standard of life. Had Ireland had the same belief system in place from the 1940s, who knows, LMFM might be saying Sinn Féin who and Mary who. Thanks indeed, Gregory, for your email. Our email address is michael at lmfm.ie. Uh, another WhatsApp uh, message uh, from somebody who says, are bonfires not banned? They are in Dundalk. Uh, thanks very much. I think we'll see bonfires everywhere around the country. Uh, and I don't know, it must be 20 years ago when we first asked, um, why don't the councils arrange a bonfire that's safe for kids to go to? Because they're going to go to bonfires. It's going to be on bonfires. Um, so why not arrange ones that's safe rather than having all these ones that are so dangerous uh, another text uh, from Joseph who says did I hear correctly is the government preparing to offer up to €100,000 in aid to businesses that have been most severely affected by the recent floods in Cork will they be eligible for the same assistance if their properties experience flooding again if the probability of a second flood is low 
Why aren't they covered by insurance? It appears that the government is once more coming to the rescue of insurers using taxpayers' funds following their refusal to provide flood coverage for homes and establishments that have been paying for insurance for years. This denial of coverage has left these property owners unable to claim compensation for the extensive damage caused by the recent flooding. Once again, this situation highlights the government's bailout of insurance companies funded by taxpayers who have failed to allocate sufficient resources from their profits to aid in the restoration of properties properties after a flood. Insurance companies tend to focus on insuring against less likely offence to maximise their profits, often at the expense of their policyholders. Thank you indeed, Joseph, for that. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Our text and WhatsApp number is 0861800658. And if you want to comment, you can also email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Not sure if you've ever heard of the encounter in Berlin. It uh, certainly uh, was news to me when I read about it in uh, the Irish Times uh, last week. Oliver Sears, the founder of Holocaust Awareness Ireland, was telling us uh, that it's a group established in Berlin in 1992 and he participated in the encounter in August just gone by. And what they do is they bring together the children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors with those of Nazi perpetrators. Four days, eight hours a day, sitting in a circle with no agenda and no facilitator, he wrote. Uh, And he said that at the end of the last day, a a German from a solid SS family came up to him and said, I was so honoured to hear your story and humbled that you heard mine. It's a fantastic story in itself. And Oliver Sears, the founder of Holocaust Awareness Ireland, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Oliver. And thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. I think you were telling that story in the context of the current Israeli-Palestine conflict. And you said that eventually the two sides will understand that making peace is the only option available to them and that... When they do that, they'll need decades of their own encounters. Maybe you'd explain to us what you mean by that. Um, Good morning, Michael. Uh, Well, I come from a very particular experience, and that is um, from a a family of Holocaust survivors. And um, what I know is that uh, the the kind of trauma that... um, the victims of the current conflict uh, in the Middle East are experiencing will take generations um, to work through in um, often horrifying ways, in ways that are often mysterious, ways that challenge identities. Um, but the, the, we're talking about extre- extreme tr- trauma. We're talking about broken lives at a level that most of us can't possibly imagine. And effectively, all wars end. And um, they, they end for all sorts of reasons. But um, the, warring, the, the warring parties, uh, of course, um, if they want to find a way of living lives of meaning, will have to find a way of finding each other. And my experience at the encounter, I've been 
working in this area for a long time. Um, but this was the first encounter that I had experienced was um, simply one of the most moving experiences of my life. We're, 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 we're the children and the grandchildren. Um, some, some of us experience, not in my case, but some experience a very violent um, childhood. Parents unable to express themselves in, other, in any other way. And um, it's interesting that uh, so much of the grief that our parents and grandparents simply did not have the space to find or uh, work through or, or possibly understand is left to the next generation to deal with. In, in, the, in the end, the grief has to be expressed and it has to be worked through. And I found that uh, I, I went with a completely um, open mind. Mm. I only knew one person um, in this group. And um, I found that we made uh, bonds that uh, are unbreakable, that will last um, till the end of our lives because of the, the common theme in our case of um, shared humiliation, um, often growing up in families uh, filled with shame, often with silence. Um, and somehow this group um, understood that we shared this, this um, <laughs> it's a kind of club that no one wants to belong to, mm. but we found this uh, commonality, this shared experience. And for the first time in perhaps, I don't know all of our lives, I can't speak for the rest, I can speak for my, myself and the experience that, that I, I felt a few others expressed or shared. Um, w w was that there was just an understanding uh, that very, very few other people can properly tap into. Mm. And that gave us um, a, a, an amazing sense of relief um, and uh, kind of solace. Mm. A, a truth commission uh, of sorts, but uh, I suppose there's a, a long way to go before we can even contemplate something uh, of that sort. Uh, there's a very bitter war, uh, as we all know, uh, at this stage. Uh, and you've completely condemned uh, the October 7th attack on Israel by Hamas. Uh, but you've also questioned why Israel has gone to war, or at least gone to war in the way that it has with Hamas. Yes, I have. I mean, I, I, I know I've grown up with this history. Um, I have family in Israel, um, and uh, I, I am I'm brokenhearted. I am uh, deeply, deeply frustrated. Um, and I just, I, I've seen a cycle of violence uh, that doesn't seem to end. Um, and it's counterintuitive, but, you know, we've seen it on this island. Uh, you, you have to, in the end, you're going to have to speak to people and make peace with people uh, you can't bear, who often whose values are completely anathema to you. And uh, you know, the, the idea of um, uh, exterminating Hamas 
um, I, I, I think is, uh, is, a, is a very bad mistake. Um, as much as I, as you, as you might imagine, abhor um, almost everything about them, mm. I think it's um, <laughs> it's ridiculous not to pose the question: you know, where did they come from? They didn't start off this radicalized. Um, and uh, is, Israel has experienced, I think, by far the worst government in its history. And this kind of populism, and is it just, if you can put aside the fact that it's a Jewish state for a minute and just think, think about the politics, um, it, it's, it, it, it's what one might imagine the second Trump term might look like. Um, the lunatics have taken over the, the asylum and all those things, that the, all those expressions of hate are put into practice. Um, and all that does is radicalize your own population and your so-called enemies. It's a disaster. Mm. And it's interesting you call it a, a Jewish state. And that brings me uh, to my next question, because uh, there's a, a lot of concern uh, in this country, at least, uh, about uh, the action and uh, the way that Israel uh, is retaliating uh, and um, if uh, that it'll abide by international humanitarian laws. Um, you see that, or, or do you see that uh, as anti-Semitic? Uh, is there a question about uh, being Jewish? Uh, I think you wrote in your article that at one of uh, the pro-Palestinian rallies, uh, you would not have announced your Jewish identity. I'm not sure that I would have announced my Jewish identity at any of them. I think that, unfortunately, um, there is a conflation between um, Israelis, some Israeli politics, and Jews. And it is the case, and you're seeing it all around the world now, that whenever Israel um, goes to war, um, Jews everywhere are imperiled. Um, and, you, you know, the, the, it's a matter of fact that the spike in anti-Semitic attacks in um, places like the UK and France and Germany are, are kind of off the charts. People, um, you know, broadly associate Jews everywhere with the politics of Israel. Um, and... That's um, that's very very disturbing if you if you come from my background and mm. and share my identity. Jew, Jews are not a monolithic group of people. Um, we come we we represent every possible political view out there, and there are many Jews who share my view. Um, it, it, it's not just the Israeli war on Hamas that people are concerned about. It's uh, the innocent P Palestinian civilians who are in the line of fire that is a, a lot of uh, concern uh, about. Uh, but absolutely, but that has that should not manifest itself in attacks on synagogues in Berlin, for example. Hmm. What's that got to do with it? They're not Israelis. I'm not an Israeli. Hmm. No, absolutely, and uh, no argument there. I was just going to ask you, though, about comments uh, that you took an exception to, uh, made by Richard Boyd Barrett, uh, describing uh, what the Israelis are doing uh, as genocide. It's a term uh, you'd prefer not to be used. I, I just don't think it's what's happening. Um, and I, I'm, I'm 
very, very sensitive to the power of language. Um, language is where division begins. Um, and my particular background, my Holocaust history, shows very clearly um, how language in the hands of devious and skilled politicians um, causes um, hatred to spread very quickly and very easily. The Israelis, as much as I abhor what they are doing in uh, Gaza, I, I think it, it is criminal. I think it's madness. I don't think it's going to bring mm. peace. All of those um, uh, all of those things must be true, but they're not committing genocide. Mm. They, they, they could very easily, given the power that they have, do that. They're not doing that. You, and I think that, that I think I just don't think that using that language mm. um, helps anybody. You argued in the Irish Times uh, that Palestinians have a, a legitimate right to self-determination. You said that aid needs to reach Gaza. This was in your article last week. Aid is starting to trickle in. Uh, you said that diplomatic efforts uh, should uh, convince Iran to stop funding Hamas and that there should be an agreement to a pr- prisoner swap to release uh, the hostages. Uh, we Another two hostages released last night as I'm sure you know Oliver I'm sure you welcomed that and it was somewhat ironic as well I think because of the elderly woman's support for Palestinians an Israeli woman who had great support for Palestinians is pictured apparently leaving her captors and wishing them peace as she left Yes and it's it's uh, it says everything about how indiscriminate um, attacks on civilians are because um, they, they don't decide in advance what the politics of those citizens um, is. They just take them because they represent an, an identity. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a brutal and shocking tactic. Uh, I think, um, frankly, that... Uh, there is, there can be no space whatsoever for taking civilian hostages, and uh, I, I think Hamas may have realised that this is a mistake, because uh, well, we know that four have been released, and there must be clearly back channels working overtime to release the others. Um, I, 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 I can't stress enough this. The, the trauma that that particular tactic um, presents for the families, and l- let alone the hostages themselves. Okay. Um, Oliver, I have to leave it there, but thank you very much uh, indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to us uh, and indeed to share your thoughts with us uh, on all of those issues. That's Oliver Sears, uh, who is the founder of Holocaust Awareness Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Adverse Childhood Experience or the ACE Comparison Study carried out by Maynooth University has found significant association between post-traumatic stress disorder and having a problem drinker in the household. Now, that's a problem for almost a quarter of us, or a fifth of us, 25% of adults in this country. Uh, One million people all told 
who have lived with a problem drinker as a child. If you are interested in this, you may be interested in a webinar that's about to start uh, called Joining the Dots. It's being organised by Alcohol Action Ireland. And we're joined now by Dr. Sheila Gilhini, uh, who's the CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland. A very good morning to you. Uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. That's a, an incredible statistic. Um, a, a quarter of people grow up with a, a problem drinker. Um, were you surprised by that? Well, when you see it in black and white, it's very shocking. But I suppose I wasn't really surprised because, you know, we, we know from other data just simply about, you know, the level of alcohol use in the country. We know that 15% of the population have an alcohol use disorder. So in some ways, I, you know, I'm not overly surprised, but I'm still shocked actually when I, when I see it written down it is it is you know it, it, it's it is shocking is really the only word I can, I can use and you know the level of trauma that comes from that you know so if we're thinking of children today right now who are growing up and in that that situation they live they live with an awful lot they live with uncertainty they live with fear they live with not knowing what's around the corner they're not knowing whether their loving parent is able to give them the support and the the stability today or will they be able to do that tomorrow? You know, so there's an awful lot there, and sadly, alongside you know that that sort of trauma that that that's that's there from from you know the alcohol problem in the home, you know, concurrently you can often get problems with mm. mental health uh, difficulties and and also domestic violence and you know other things that could arise. You know, often you know, for example, the early loss of, of a parent uh, through alcohol as well is, is is another element of this. So there's there's multiple layers mm. of trauma, you know, associated with this problem. It's hard to believe uh, and uh, possibly that's the reason uh, you've titled a document uh, that you've published on this called Problem Alcohol Use in the Home, The Invisible Victims of Alcohol Harm. Uh, Are are the problems associated with uh, drinking too much problems that manifest behind closed doors? Yes, they, they are. And, um, you know, this is one of the things that is so hidden. It is very difficult to talk about this uh, in public. A lot of people, even though, I mean, any time we ever mention this, you know, we get a lot of people say, yes, we grew up with that, it's there. But there is a silence that goes around it. And sometimes that's a silence from within the home itself. You know, don't talk, don't mention, don't, don't say anything about it. And then sometimes it's the, 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 the broader population, you know, that... You know, we have this very strange relationship with alcohol in, in, in Ireland, you know, where on one hand we're saturated with advertising and marketing, putting forward, you know, everything's great, you know, every association you can possibly think of, whether it's sporting, whether it's a family occasion, whether mm. it's, um, you know, music, uh, anything that's good will be linked in some sort of a way with alcohol. And yet at the same time, we have this hidden uh, side to it. And, you know, a lot of those advertisements, uh, I think sometimes for people, you know, who are in the situation, it can be very hurtful, actually, um, you know, because it ignores their trauma that, you know, what, what they have experienced. And th- as I say, that sort of trauma, it manifests its way itself in, in lots of different ways. Now, sometimes for a child, it can be could be maybe educational problems, it could be behaviour problems, although you can ha- you can also have the flip side of that. You can have mm. a child who's incredibly uh, well-behaved in school, who takes on a parenting role, who gets all their younger children ready for school and, you know, grows up too quickly, you know, at, at that. But to the outside view, it might look like there isn't a problem, but in fact there is, and that mm. can sometimes manifest itself at a later stage in maybe, you know, their own mental health problems. Uh, could be, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, we've seen eating disorders. It's you know quite quite a common thing to have there, and sadly as well, 
you know, sometimes a problem with, with, with addiction, with, with alcohol them, themselves, um, or relationship troubles. So, you know, mm. there, there's there's such a host yeah. of different things that, you know, are around this particular thing. So that, that's what we're trying to do this week. And I presume you know, it, it, it's invisible to a large degree because uh, people don't talk about it because they're silent. Yes, I, I do think that. And, you know, we know that, for example, you know, many people who, you know, seek help for mental health difficulties wouldn't necessarily connect back their their current, let's say, mental health problems, say anxiety, with that that childhood experience. And we, we would also know that, you know, 70% of mental health uh, professionals wouldn't have actually got training in this particular area, although they're very open to, get to you know, to, to finding out more and to getting more about it. So we're certainly calling for, you know, more training of all professionals and individuals, you know, who might be coming into contact with people, either as children or mm. as adults you know, who'd be li- living with us. And of course, we're actually, you know, trying to join the dots. We're mm. trying to say, you know, we, we should be trying to reduce the level of alcohol use in Ireland with a view towards trying to reduce this level of of very complex and very hidden, but very devastating harm in okay. our homes. Are you talking about alcoholics, by the way? Uh, is there a difference between a problem drinker and an alcoholic? Well, you know, we know that, you know, 15% of the population have, a, have what's called an alcohol use disorder. What we would be saying is you don't actually have to be addicted to alcohol for it to be having a problem both in your, in your own life or, um, you, you know, in, in the family life as, as well. Um, very often people aren't really just as aware of how devastating the harm that, you know, that can be caused um, by, by problem drinking. So it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's addicted to alcohol at all. Okay, your webinar is uh, about to start uh, joining the dots, uh, as you said a moment ago. Yes, and we have two other events this week, Triple Trauma in the Home, which is an in-person event in Boswell's Hotel in Dublin tomorrow. And we have a third event on Thursday, um, which is called Invisible Victims. Uh, It's also at 11 o'clock, and the the details are on our website, alcoholireland.ie. Okay, Sheila, we leave there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. That's uh, Sheila Gilhini, the CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Olga Bacon joins us from Trim Garda Station for this week's report. And good morning to you and thank you for joining us. We're going to start with an assault, a, a very serious assault for that matter, that occurred in Kiltail. Yes, Michael. So a woman in her 40s was seriously injured in a suspected stabbing incident in Kintail on Sunday night just gone. Her injuries were serious, but not life-threatening, and she did receive hospital attention. I can confirm that a man in his 40s was arrested in relation to the assault, and he will appear before the court this morning. We're appealing to any witnesses who are on the OR154, so that's the Trim Road in Kintail, just in the area between 8.30 and 9.15pm on Sunday night to contact us. Maybe you were driving through, you have dash cam footage, or you were in the area. Um, you can contact Trim Guard Station on 046-948-1540. Next uh, to Drum Conrath, where Guardia are investigating a burglary. Yes, so we're Guardia at Navangard Station are investigating a break-in to St. Peter and Paul's Church in Drum Conrath on the 17th of October between 9.30 and 10.30pm, and a sum of cash was taken in that burglary. So again, Navangardi, they're looking to speak to you. Maybe you were driving through Drum Conrad and have dash cam footage, or you saw something, and however small at the time, you're asked to contact Navangardi station on 046 
907-9930. And uh, another burglary to report on. Uh, this one occurred in RD. Yes, yeah, so the uh, Gardaí and RD are investigating a break-in in a home in Mulladrillinan in RD on Friday the 20th of October. And that happened between 7.30pm and into the early hours of Saturday morning. So the resident of the house returned home and found the house absolutely ransacked and a number of items in cash taken. Gardaí at RD, Garda Station, are appealing for any witnesses to the break-in or who were in the area and may have seen something. Or again, if you were driving through and you have dash cam footage, you can contact RD Garda Station on 41 6853222 Now for an appeal for information about a person who's missing there's some concern in Dulik. Yes, yeah, so Declan Fay is a 61-year-old gentleman and his family and ourselves are concerned for his welfare. So he has been missing since Tuesday of last week so we're going on a week now. Declan is described as being approximately 5 foot 8 inches in height with stocky build and blue eyes. If anyone has any information as to Declan's whereabouts, or indeed if Declan is listening, he's, you've been, he's been asked to contact either his family or anybody else to contact Ashburn Garda Station on 01-8010-600 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1800-666-1. Next to Navin and uh, public order incident. Yes, yeah, so we are aware that residents in Millbrook in Johnstown are being terrorised nightly by groups of young people, some of who are dealing drugs. It's an ongoing issue and we do understand it, it is very intimidating to residents living in the area. While the Gardaí and Navin, attached to Navin Garda Station, are conducting regular patrols, we can't always be in the right place at the right time. We're hoping that residents will help us and if they do see any criminal activities, please contact us on the emergency line. We won't need to call your door, but we can provide a more targeted response. Now, uh, to a cross-border operation uh, that is uh, with uh, the assistance of the PSNI and Garda Síochána, uh, looking uh, to clamp down on rural crime as well as human trafficking. Absolutely, Michael. So last week, a high-visibility operation took place on both sides of the border, Straymond from Donegal to Loud, involving ourselves in the PSNI. So from our own side, we have a large number of units, so we have the Armed Support, the Air Support, National Protective Services Bureau and our Immigration Bureau were involved in these patrols and checkpoints. Customs officers from Revenue also took part. So this operation had a particular focus in identifying indicators of human trafficking, labour exploitation and sexual exploitation. The operation was successful not only in identifying potential criminality, but also when raising awareness around human trafficking. We do rely on members of the public who witness any of this type of criminal behaviour to contact us, either at the local Garda station or on the Garda confidential line. And again, that number is 1800-666-1. OK, thank you indeed. Garda Olga Bacon of Trim Garda station there. We'll return to the Garda crime desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, some more comments coming to us. Uh, Tara King is in Meath and uh, thank you Tara for your text or WhatsApp message. She says I was at uh, the protest march on Saturday against the war on Gaza and one of the most moving speeches was from Jews for Palestine. There are 1.4 million Palestinians 
since displaced. Israelis are wiping out whole families, whole communities before our eyes. How is that not genocide? That was a very interesting interview, she says, with Oliver Sears. Uh, We need more discussions like that and to hear people's voices. We need to ensure that we do not become a society that ignores international law and basic human rights. We've seen it happen before. Hashtag never again, says Tara King in Meath. Thanks, Tara, as I, I say, for your message. Uh, we Tony in Louth in touch with us uh, saying um, that a can of worms. No, that's um, I've lost that message now. Um, there was a message there. I'm sorry, I've gone from my screen. Um, oh, yes, about uh, Israel. It's back here now. He says, what do you think of uh, the United Nations? Uh, do they not have a, a lot to answer for when they forced this settlement of Israel on these lands back in 1948? Did they have the right to simply take these lands from people already there and parachute in an entire nation. This was done to, due to a feeling of guilt after the Holocaust, which unbelievably um, these same victims of that Holocaust are content to carry out a similar action on another nation. And uh, for the UN to do this is an area where the surrounding Muslim nations were never going to accept enforced Jewish neighbours. So the whole problem ever since stems from that action and view of carried out the uh, view of who carried out the Holocaust should they not have been given their own territory from within the German borders as reparation of war. Thank you uh, for that, uh, Tony, uh, as well. Um, we'd Adrian and Drum Conrad um, in touch with us. Uh, wondering if uh, the Guardian are looking for information on uh, a breakout in, in into the priest's house. Uh, it's happened six or seven times uh, and uh, Tony wants some more information on that. Uh, or Adrian, I beg your pardon. Uh, thanks uh, for your text, Adrian. Uh, another text that comes to us from Tony. Uh, this is uh, Tony in Navani says, I heard on the news this morning that the HSC says it is underfunded. While the Secretary General in the Department is saying they need to find cost savings if patients are to get the treatment that they need. Maybe Robert Watt should start the cutbacks by reducing his salary. How is a civil servant paid nearly €300,000 on one hand, while on the other hand, the health service is underfunded? Something doesn't add up. Thanks, uh, Tony, for that. Uh, I'm sure that's one of the questions that the politicians will be putting to Robert Watt uh, and indeed Bernard Loster, the Secretary General of uh, the Department and the head of the HSE uh, when they appear in front of uh, them this morning. Now, um, we'll stay with the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict and uh, the situation in Gaza uh, at the moment. Uh, and we can hear just a short briefing. This is fascinating stuff from a press conference yesterday held by the United Nations. Okay, and what about um, I mean, you, you said that there's around 450 or 500 uh, trucks that used to yeah. go into the Gaza Strip before this war. Um what do you need now? Is it the double usually just to... Well, I mean, to, we, to, to, ideally, it yeah. to get up to that same number, obviously. But, you know, uh, they are... When we were there on Friday, there were about 220 or so trucks that were waiting at the border to go in, right? Uh, so those are just... So if you just look at the, uh, at the number of trucks that needed to go, that were ready and willing to go in... Uh, 
which is what I said, two, about 220 or so, uh, we we are not even we're not even clearing um, what is uh, what is waiting at uh, at Rafa. Okay, I, I could follow up also on that. Why aren't you? I mean, is it also again that the Israelis are not allowing you to get as many trucks per humanitarian Listen, they, aid they, as you need? I mean, what is the main obstacle? Why aren't you being able to get what you need to get in? These are complicated discussions uh, in a in what is an active uh, conflict zone. Um, we're doing our best with all the parties to get aid as quickly in as quickly as possible. Can I have a quick for, uh, two, two, two short questions? Uh, the situation in the West Bank is um, there's more settlers attacks, there's more people killed. Can we have an update on what's happening there? And also, why did the, why did the Secretary General, when he reached the Rafah, or before mm -hmm. that, of course, did, why, why didn't he go into the Gaza Strip? Did he ask or talk to the Israelis and other parties to be able to go there? And to look to see for himself what's happening, and if he wasn't allowed, then he wasn't allowed by whom? Thank you. No, I mean the the Secretary General and his staff have been in touch with our colleagues who remain in Gaza, so he's very much aware of what is uh, what is going on. Um, I think it would have been uh, rather challenging, to say the least, to have the Secretary General go uh, into what is an active uh, active conflict zone. Uh, uh, the West Bank, I, I think it's important that we don't keep our eye off uh, what is going on in, in, in the West Bank. We are very concerned about the increase of, uh, of violence that we have, uh, that we have seen targeting, uh, targeting civilians and, and, um, and activities by the, by the settlers. I think it's, uh, you will have a more detailed update from Mr. Van Island, uh tomorrow. Okay, and that's uh, a yes. spokesperson for the Secretary General of uh, the United Nations, Antonio Guterres. Uh, that uh, was uh, the voice of Stefan Jurak uh, speaking to reporters at uh, a press conference yesterday. That's where our programme ends today. Our time has run out on us once again. Thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching the programme today and Chris Murray in the control chair. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.